Amen. What a great time to worship we've had. And I just pray it doesn't end quite yet. Because I know we need to hear from God. Uh, the message today deals with His grace. Um, next week we'll have a Christmas message. But today I'm continuing on. Almost done with First Peter. There's only two me- one message after this one. But this one really fits with Christmas. You know, in John chapter 1, verse 14, the scripture says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us. The one and only, full of grace and truth. When we think of truth, it's in a person, Jesus. And when we think of grace... God's favor that none of us deserve is Jesus. He is the personification of grace. And we're, we're going to look at that this morning. Well, turn me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're looking at two verses here. Verses 10 and 11. Yes, thank you. And the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, that you came. We worship you. You came in total vulnerability. You will come again this time as victorious one. And we worship you, Lord. And we thank you this morning as Christmas is not far off. And we are reminded that God came. And so, Lord, thank you. And and Father, I, I just pray that as we take some time to look at your word, may we be reminded that you are the God of all grace, Jesus. And we worship you. Guide us in the time that remains. In Christ's name, amen. Years ago at Oxford University, there was a conference on comparative religions. And soon an argument broke out over the question, what makes Christianity unique? What is different about Christianity? Suddenly someone... Spoke up and said, oh, it has to do with the virgin birth. And then a, someone from another religion spoke up and said, oh, we, we have that. And then someone said, it has to do with the resurrection. Well, we have some claims of, of that. And, and, and so they're arguing back and forth. And a guy many of you have heard of walked into the room who taught at Oxford named C.S. Lewis. And he saw them all yelling at each other. And he said, what is all this bustering about? Blustering about, excuse me. And they said, we're debating the question, what makes Christianity so unique? And Lewis said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. God's marvelous grace is unearned, unmerited favor that we cannot earn. It is a multifaceted gift. I want to read to you a quote. This is from Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. God's grace is free, but it isn't cheap. It costs the life of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Still, the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist has his eightfold path to travel in hopes of entering bliss. The Hindu follows his doctrine of karma and hopes enough good karma will secure his eternal happiness. The Jew follows his covenants in hopes of being righteous with God. The Muslim tries to follow his code of law and religious ritual. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional a gift of grace. And you know, I love it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8. It says that He lavishes His grace upon us. In other words, it's not like a leaky faucet that goes drip, drip, drip. But it's like Niagara Falls. The grace of God it's like a torrential downpour. It's undeserved. It's Jesus who has come to us. Uh, J. Paul Getty, back in the 50s, was declared the richest man in the world. He graduated from Oxford in 1913. He took over his family's oil business. And it just continued to prosper. But probably what he was known for on a personal level was his stinginess. Although he was the richest guy, as we used to say, he was tight as a drum. He did not spend any extra money. Matter of fact, they, he had an estate outside of London that consisted of 700 acres. Had a pay phone. He was too cheap to even let you make a phone call. I'll tell you the extent of how cheap this guy was. His 16-year-old grandson was kidnapped... And the ransomers demanded this huge sum of money, $17 million. He wouldn't pay it. And so he was arguing back and forth with the kidnappers. And, of course, his son was begging his dad, please, you know, this is your grandson. Finally, he told his son, he said, I'll loan it to you at 4% interest. And that was only after the kidnappers had cut off one of his grandson's ears and sent it back to them. I am so grateful we do not have a God like that. We don't have a God who is stingy. He doesn't hold His grace from us, but He pours it out to us freely. You know, it's interesting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, He is called the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles, right? So that we can comfort others with the grace we ourselves receive from God. But here in this text, it is the only place in the New Testament, He is called the God of all grace. We are saved by grace, that unearned grace, but for some reason, most of us think that although we are saved by grace, we have to earn God's smile each new day. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus has already done that for us. We are fully received by God because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We were saved by grace. He carries us by His grace. And He remains with us until we enter into His presence for eternity. Grace is with you. The grace of God in Jesus Christ he says, I will never leave you. He says, I will never forsake you. He told Paul when Paul was crying over the thorn. He, 
he said to Paul, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So we say that and we say, well, if God's grace is so freely given to us, why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why is there heartache? And so that brings us to our second point. God develops the life of the believer by suffering. When you go to the gym, you know, we're about to hit January and then everybody, you know, they're ready for the New Year's resolutions. And one of the things that so often happens is to get in physical shape. And I don't know, man, there's too much spandex out there. Spandex shows a lot. I, you know, I, uh, you do that, you know, well, I was, I'd say might need a girdle, but I ain't never done that and don't know if I want to, to hide. You know, anyway, you go, you go to a trainer, and, and what do they say in order to get in shape? That wonderful phrase, no pain, no gain. And so it is with how God makes us like Jesus. There is a painful path that occurs. And he tells us here, notice in the text, he says, after you have suffered. And thankful he doesn't <laughs> say forever. He says, after you have suffered for a little while. That it is only temporary, that suffering. It makes me think of Second Corinthians 4.17 that says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. In other words, the struggles that we have here and, you know, I always joke about it. You know what the worst problem is? It's the one I'm facing right now. Because that's all I can think about or all that I can see. But yet, Paul says here clearly, as he thought about his own personal troubles that he was facing, they're light and they're momentary compared with the glory that will be revealed in Christ Jesus. Revealed. And, and you know, you think about Paul. Here was a guy... Uh, it tells us in in junior high that he had a gym teacher that was very strict. And back in those days, uh, you'd get paddled. I don't see much of that now. He had this uh, paddle that was about a, a foot long. And the gym teacher had bore holes into the paddle. And the commentator said, this left quite an impression on his students. <laughs> and he said, you know, one day the gym teacher came in the dressing room and and the place was a mess, and the gym teacher said, you better have this place cleaned up when I get back. And so he comes back, and he said, this place isn't really, no. He said, you guys come out. And he said, when you get to the door, I want you to bend over and touch your shoes. So each guy came to the door, bent over, touched his shoes, and it was whack! And the commentator said, we talked for days about that one whack. And how it stayed on our minds and there was an impression in more ways than one. And yet, he went on to make the point. Think about Paul. We don't think about this very often. We think about the physical beatings that Paul endured. That when he stood before believers to speak, to bring forth the Word of God, he had scars on his face. Scars on his hands and his arms. 
probably over most every part of his body there were scars. And I can just imagine him speaking and people looking at him like, wow. And Paul saying, oh guys, you know, you're looking at this. This is light and momentary. There is a glory that will be revealed that makes it all worth it. The glory of Christ. And then he moves on and he shares four verbs <laughs> that describe this suffering school that makes us like Jesus Christ. And we're, we're going to look at that in our time that remains. First, God mends your broken heart when life has broken it into pieces. Literally, when you look at this verse, it, it, it could be translated, Himself will. God is personally involved, is the idea of the Scripture. That this work is not something that you work out alone, but God Himself is doing. The work in your life as you walk with Him. You don't do it alone. He is there through the course of the struggle. God is present. Thirteen times the word is used in the New Testament that is restore in the NIV here. And it means to put in order. It means to adjust. It means to arrange. And it is the picture of something that's out of place being put in its proper order. It, it's a picture of a seamstress taking a torn garment and seaming it back to its, its rightful form, its proper form. Secondly, God puts strength in your character when suffering tries to break you down. The next part of the verse, He tells us that He will restore you and He will make you strong. The word is the same word that's actually used in Luke 9.51. It says, as the time for Jesus to go to heaven approached, he resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus knew the cross was soon. So everything was focused at that point on to the cross, his mission, why he came to seek and to save the lost. And so, this word uh, literally, uh, in the ancient world, uh, we would speak of it today like uh, the word we get our word steroids from. <laughs> and so, the picture here with steroids, you know, steroids don't just make you stronger. One of the main purposes that why athletes use steroids is they allow you to heal faster. And so, the picture here is that He, he will restore you. He will bring you back together. In the power of His grace, He will work to build you and to strengthen you as this world, as this struggle, as the enemy tears you down. He is at work to rebuild you, to restore you. Thirdly, God stands you on your feet when trials attempt to push you over. The text again, he says, will make you strong and firm and steadfast. This picture here of, of to be firm, it is uh, that you can stand up and when the winds of life blow against you to topple you over, you can stand. 
You, you, you are anchored through the grace of Jesus Christ. You are secure. There is a foundation there that will hold you that is worthy. God is at work and you can trust Him. You know, I read um, recently about letters that go to the President of the United States. And, uh, of course, there are so many letters that go, tens of thousands of letters a day. The President of the United States cannot possibly read all the letters that go to him every day. And so there is actually a commission. And the job of that commission is to go through the letters. First, the letters start at the Secret Service. And then they end up going uh, to this presidential correspondence at the White House Commission. And so uh, that staff consists of not only this director, but 45 staff members, 35 interns, and 300 volunteers that spend their day reading president's address, letters addressed to the President of the United States. And of course, as they sift through those letters, only a few get to the President for himself to read at the end of the day. And I do not think that they're going to give to the President letters that are going to keep him up all night. Letters that are going to disturb him. I think they're going to do their best to present <laughs> to the president letters that he needs to hear, not just criticism. Hey, we have a God who does not delegate out the prayers of his people. God hears each of our prayers. And God knows our hurts. He knows our struggles. And He is able to keep us on our feet. He is able to protect us through the storm and through the howling winds of struggle. God knows. God hears. God acts. And we can place our full confidence and trust in Him. And then one more. God stabilizes your life when trials attempt to destroy your foundation and look how he ends here he says firm and steadfast uh, it means to lay that firm foundation it, it, it is of course that may mean ripping out some fake foundations that are more like paper mache than the solid rock and of course that reminds us of Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven that tells us underneath are the everlasting arms I love one translation. I think it's the contemporary English version. It says, He carries us in His arms. And it makes me think of, remember that poem where uh, there were the footprints. Where'd those come from, you know? It says, uh, how how come uh, they're missing the other footprints? Because you were carried. You know, you you guys know that poem. And, And the picture is, that's grace. That's God's presence as He moves and He works through us. And then, then he comes to this, this last verse as we see he stabilizes our lives. In verse 11 he says, To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now those who read this at the time, you had the Roman emperor who was in charge. Um, he considered himself to be God. He had a, a command and a demand of all the people to worship him. He saw himself as deity, as all-powerful, as other empires were conquered and they were added to the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, the emperor had 10,000 slaves that just personally attended to his every whim and desire. 
he considered himself to <laughs> deserve all the attention. And so when these words were written by Peter, certainly Peter had to know this would not set well with the emperor of Rome. But Peter was saying, you are not the end all. Caesar, you are, Nero, you are not the one that is in charge. You may be emperor of Rome, but you are not king of kings and lord of lords. There is only one who has the power forever and ever. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And where is the Roman Empire now? History. Where is Jesus now? Seated in heaven. Where He is the ruler and He is the conqueror. And when He says amen, it means so be it. And so whatever we face, guys, we have the hope of Christmas. We have the hope of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, who walks with us, who is with us. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank You that You are the God of all grace. And sometimes we do think we're alone. Or we think we have to impress You. We do not understand the depths of Your unconditional love that has been given to us by Jesus. He came as a baby, but He didn't stay a baby. He was headed to the cross. Father, we are so grateful for such a love that we can't define, we can't explain, but we can receive. And, and so, Father, our hope is that if there is anyone here who has not responded to God's wonderful grace, has not said, forgive me, has not invited Jesus Christ into their lives, this is a great day to do that. And I just ask, we just ask that you would respond if you haven't to Jesus. No one can love you like the one who made you. The one who wants to keep you and protect you. The one who wants you to go to heaven and that's why he went through hell. So, Father, I pray you speak among us. I pray we would respond to you, the God of all grace. Whatever that need is. May we come to you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much that you came. And we desire to worship you, and this time we refer to as invitation. In Christ's name, amen.